Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there, St. Louis. Happy Friday to you. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular gig. We'll stick around, and then we'll, of course, join, uh, what, Amy and Chris for a little while? If they're here, we'll yeah, be, I, we'll be they, there. They're usually running off somewhere else, but uh, we'll be here together. Uh, you were uh, a little angry today about people parking in parking lots. I've never met a guy who has as much emotional turmoil over uh, the way that people park in parking lots. Well, it's the little things, Michael. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, coming in this morning, I noticed that there was a spot that I could pull through. What's that mean? Uh, I could be pointed face out uh-huh. without having to back in. Ah, nice. That's uh, that's a win. Uh-huh. Anytime that happens, that's a because win. Because you're not a back-in kind of guy. I don't back in. No. <laughs> uh, and so there it was. And it was relatively close to the door even. Uh-huh. And uh, thinking, this is going to be a good day. So I go in through the first spot there, and I'm – navigating my way into the second spot so that uh-huh. I will be facing head out. Uh-huh. And it, it, it appears to me that the car on my left is hugging the yellow line Oof. right there on his right in my left. He's uh-huh. hugging it. Yeah. The car on my right is hugging the yellow line. Right. His left, my right, which means I get into the spot, skillfully navigated. Right. And I open the door as much as I can. Right. I darn near needed the jaws of life to get out of that thing. I had to I had to suck it in, which it requires a lot. And I had to swing my left foot back. Uh-huh. And I had to twist just so. Okay. And I finally and extricated myself from the car. Why didn't you spot this as you were pulling in? Because it sounds like there were two cars that you say were both too close to the line. They were too close so to the line. So it was definitely going to be a tight fit when you I pulled into that. it. I realized. Why that. didn't you spot that? At the very beginning, like, don't you have some culpability here? Because no. you could have seen that, like, I'm, I'm right. not going to be able to fit in this spot. I'm smack dab in the middle of the spot. Yeah. And I figure by the time I leave, one or both of those people will have fled the scene. Yeah. And uh, and I'll, I'll be just fine. And it's a good parking spot. And right. I'm dead center in the lines. Remember when we used to have malls? Like, you know. We you, still have malls. Okay, well, but you don't go to them. When people used to go to the malls, to you the know. Mall. All right, you go to the mall. What I, mall you go to? The, you know, the mall out there. All right, what, the, what is a, um acceptable distance that you're willing to park from the door? I mean, are you a, are you a guy who wants to be in the first 15, 20 spots, or are you a guy who can go park two lots over and walk in? Buddy, I could park in Cleveland. Really? And walk to the mall. Exactly. Yeah. Why is that? It does doesn't bother me if it's a nice day. Now, if it's, you know, inclement weather, yeah. that's a different story. But if it's a nice day, I like to walk. I've I, got a nice I would long take gate. you for the guy who like pulls into the let's say the Brentwood Target, with yeah. the horrible parking spots and the whole bit. But I would take you for the guy that would just kind of slowly meander the parking lot in the car. Hoping for, ooh, ooh, is this person coming out? Oh, where, where the, where's their car at? Yeah, oh, I don't uh, do that. Uh, uh, no? Because it, it'll drive me crazy. Because what happens, they come to the car. They put their crap they bought in the back of the car. Uh-huh. They will stroll around and get in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. They start the car. Right. And then they sit there. And they look at their phone. They get right. the, and, and That's disrespectful. That's miserable. Yes. But it happens every time. And I don't want to put myself through this. I'm trying to de-stressify my life. Michael. Good for you. Yeah. So you just kind of, you know, go on about your way and find a spot and, and park in it. Yeah. I have, uh, this is something I learned as I grew older. I just was like, you know what? I can walk. 
And once I finally accepted <laughs> that, how long did it take you to figure well, that? Well, I don't out? know. But when you're a kid, you know you're going and searching. Oh, I got to be close. I got to be close. Why did I have to be close? I guess because my dad was always close. He always wanted the park close. So I, I was like, why am I doing this? So I walk an extra half a block. Right. Who cares? Who cares? It's good for but you. But uh, now that I'm older, I, I automatically just go to the far end of the lot and just find a place where you know I can park and meander my way in. And then I, I see that that guy. We all know that guy. Who's just kind of slowly going about two miles an hour through the um, parking lot, lot, waiting for that one person to come out. So yeah, that and that guy can, needs yeah. to go get a handicap tag, and he doesn't have to worry about it. There we go. Best newscast in the country. The KMOX Newsroom, national winner of the Edward R. Murrow Award for Best Newscast in America. Well, hello there. It's the Hancock and Kelly Show for uh, this Friday. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, John Hancock. Top of the morning. We start the day uh, hearing the news that uh, 90-year-old Diane Feinstein, the senior senator from California, has passed away. There'll be plenty of remembrances of uh, her very historic life, and we did a little bit of that with Total Information um, AM earlier, but uh, let's talk about what's next. Uh, you, the, typically, um, the responsibility of replacing a uh, senator who's been unable to fill their term is left to the governor of the state. Uh, that almost was universal, right? Uh, until recently, I think Kentucky and a couple others have changed it. They go to special elections. Go to special elections, but uh, Gavin Newsom will be able to select who the next senator from uh, California would be. There'd be speculation that potentially... He could choose himself, uh, but he could also pick Adam Schiff and a lot of these other Republican well, Democrats who have uh, gotten some, yeah, some attention recently. There are a number of uh, candidates that are going to we're planning to vie for that office. The seat comes up in 2024 and uh, and still will. But now they'll have an appointed incumbent in that seat. And that typically, historically, has been a pretty big advantage in running for the full term. Yeah, and obviously we lived through this, right, with uh, Jean Carnahan being appointed by Roger Wilson after her deceased husband had won the seat. But that was a process that took place over several months. How quickly can this happen? I mean, could he appoint somebody today and sure. put him on a plane and yeah, send him to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, uh, absolutely could. And uh, I don't think – I think they'll probably wait for a respectful amount of time. But remember, you know, that. Democrats' majority in the Senate is every bit as thin as the Republican majority in the House is. So um, they, they will want to have a senator as quickly as possible in that seat. I would imagine there'd be a fair amount of pressure on Newsom to appoint a, a woman. Um, that will be interesting. And we'll just see where this thing goes. Well, and that's, uh, we'll keep it tuned to KMOX. There'll be plenty of remembrances of Diane Feinstein and her very historic life. And, uh, and then what's next, uh, coming from California and Gavin Newsom, whose profile continues to be raised. Uh, and one of the people that, uh, many people speculate, uh, he might be trying to take his job as that is of Joe Biden. Well, the Republicans, John Hancock, busy having impeachment inquiries on Joe Biden up in Washington, D.C. I watched a little bit of it yesterday. It seems to be the same conspiracy theories that we continue to hear on Fox News. You said it. Uh, it's uh, it's somewhat distasteful, doesn't smell good as it relates to Hunter Biden uh, making money off of government. But as we've discussed here, uh, this is as old as time. I mean, you some of the most historic names here even in Missouri, whether they be Ashcroft's Carnahan's, Clay's, 
have all had family members who've been involved, uh, yeah. similar to, to what Hunter Biden has done. It's not illegal. It may not smell good, but uh, it's a regular practice. Didn't seem like the Republicans had much in their impeachment qu- inquiry to me. In fact, they had nothing. Well, the whole thing they're, it's you know they're they're insinuating that they have is evidence that ties Joe Biden monetarily benefiting from government actions through his son, official actions of government, and that's uh, that's the bribery standard, and and the bribery standard can be met if. The son is given money, and the relative that's in government takes some government action because of that. That's a difficult standard, and the Supreme Court changed that standard uh, in 2017. You, I don't know if you remember the Bob McDonald case from Virginia. He was the governor of Virginia. He got indicted, he and his wife, mm-hmm. kind of similar to Menendez, for that matter. And, um, and what the Supreme Court ended up ruling when they threw the charges out is that showing up at a dinner— uh, or making a phone call and, you know, recommending you talk to somebody that that doesn't constitute bribery. There's got to be a quid pro quo. You do that. You take this action. I give you this money. And uh, that's that's the standard, I think, that has to be met by uh, the Republicans in the House who are investigating Joe Biden. And I've not seen the evidence of it yet. But I'm, I'm not saying it's not there either because there's an awful lot of you know, that whole industry of influence peddling is not, shall we say, the most pristine on the planet. What's interesting to me is we do have evidence of, uh, in the Donald Trump cases, we do have evidence in the Menendez case out of New Jersey. We do have evidence out of the Santos case and uh, out of New York. Uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans seem to be doing nothing there. I mean, I guess the Democrats are beating the drum saying, hey, Menendez needs to go. Interestingly enough, a lot of the Republicans who are saying, hey, George Santos, you know, he may not be a good dude, but he ought to stay, are the ones who are defending Bob Menendez. It's an alternate time, alternate universe we're living in where Democrats are supporting Republicans, Republicans are supporting Democrats, and it seems like everybody's corrupt. Well, it's uh, it's not a good look. And, you know, the institution of Congress has taken on a lot of water uh, in recent years. It's, it's popularity with the public is at an all-time low. It's not functioning. And... You know, as a as a country, we would be much better served if our Congress was functional, and we would be much better served if the legislative branch of government really functioned as a co-equal branch with the executive, but that has not been the case now for many years. Well, it's interesting you bring up the word functioning, because our government's about to stop functioning. Uh, at the end of this week, uh, the Republicans are unable to pass any type of a debt extension uh, or budget extension etc. up in Washington, D.C., Kevin McCarthy being held hostage by six or seven folks inside of his own party, Mitch McConnell and almost the entire caucus, with the exception of the two guys from Missouri, uh, saying that the government shutdown would be problematic and horrible. Uh, This isn't going to be good for the Republicans, is it? I don't know that the political fallout's going to be that long-lasting. It depends on, you know, what, what happens here and how it plays out. Um... I've seen polling that shows that a pretty healthy chunk of the public is going to blame Joe Biden for the government shutdown. Lord. And uh, but there are real implications to this, and you you look no further than we just had a downgrade of our credit rating by Fitch over the ridiculous spending that's going on in Washington. 
this could well result in an additional downgrade. That really is a that hurts our currency. Self inflicted <clears throat> too. And it a hundred percent self inflicted. And but I it doesn't none of that seems to matter to enough people in Washington. Yeah, not much seems to matter anymore. I mean, look, we just had a Republican debate earlier this week where you and I are going to talk about who won and lost, but the reality is is these are a bunch of people who are trying to become runner-up in the Miss America pageant because they're irrelevant. Uh, Donald Trump chose not to show up. He's uh, got a commanding lead inside the Republican Party, uh, almost 50 to some plus percent of Republicans saying they would support him in the primary. Uh, the rest of the team all got together up there in uh, Milwaukee and had their debate. Nikki Haley continued to shine and do well. Uh, Ron DeSantis actually showed a little bit of a pulse. Mike Pence continuing with his same mantra. I don't think anybody really moved in the standings and no horses really went anywhere. Yeah, I, I don't think much is going to come out of that debate. and The ratings were abysmal. So here, here's the, the situation is that Donald Trump is in all likelihood going to be the Republican nominee. And one of the things that's happened, it's, it's, it's less that he's taken over the Republican Party than it is he has transformed the Republican Party. And by Republican Party, I mean people that show up at caucuses and people that vote in presidential primaries. And we'll see when the actual votes are counted. But if you go back, I don't know, 10, 20 years, just 10 years ago, and you did a demographic analysis of Republican primary voters, and which you would do in any poll that you would take. You'd, you'd have a demographic analysis that would look at things like gender, age, level of education, income. Uh, what you're going to find is that the educational um, attainment level of Republican of the Republican voter, which used to be college degree plus, is no longer that. You'd find the income level of a Republican primary voter has decreased uh, in the last 10 years. And and you see the age of a Republican primary voter grow, shoot up dramatically. And those are the people. So if you take that swath of geography, high school educated, older, um, middle class or lower economic situation, that's the Republican electorate. And that's Donald Trump's sweet spot. And so I think, you know, the, the folks the folks that are upper middle class, college educated, just aren't participating any longer. Can you believe that's his people? Donald Trump, Mr. You know, money and no, 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 no. Yeah, it's just crazy. Well, he, look, he's he's um, he's got a message that appeals to them. And and in many respects, it is an appealing message. Uh, undercut, uh, well, infused throughout all of his messaging is this idea that the the establishment, the system, the institutions of government are corrupt and broken and and uh, a swamp, and that what needs is somebody outsider to come in and break everything up and shamble it to pieces. And he gives an impression that he's doing that. He really didn't do much of that in his first term, but. Uh, I mean, that's an appealing message to a whole lot of people in this country. And then you sprinkle in a little of the culture war and a lot of people who feel like the culture is decaying before our eyes. I tend to agree with that. Oh, Lord. Uh, you know, but there's there's a lot of elements in that stew that 
make Donald Trump very appealing that, for the folks who participate in Republican primaries today. That debate happened at the Presidential Library out in California, Ronald Reagan's Presidential Library. He used to be the standard bearer, the face of what modern Republican conservative thought is. I think those days are over with. Well, and, and that was a different construct of the electorate, that the people who— and remember, Ronald Reagan lost the first time he ran for president in 1976. He lost to Gerald Ford narrowly. And Reagan was the insurgent at the time. And he was really the insurgent on up through 1980. When he got the nomination, he defeated the establishment candidate, who was George Herbert Walker Bush, in that election. The biggest star at the debate wasn't anybody who was standing behind a podium on stage. It wasn't even Ronald Reagan. It was the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, garnering most of the attention, even on Fox News. Uh, for being there and spending all his time with Sean Hannity and really taking it to uh, the Republicans. Boy, this guy sure seems to be setting himself up to be the alternative. Yeah, I, and I think the, I think that's ultimately going to play out. I don't expect at this point Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee ultimately for 2024. You know, we'll find out as that plays off. I think they're going to keep him in position uh, all the way up until it's a guarantee that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, and then I think they'll make a switch. We're going to have a full day for you. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about the tents that are all, uh, all over City Hall. It's not necessary, and I'll explain why. We're going to visit with Norbert Butts. We're going to visit with Javier Mendoza. We're going to talk a little Cardinal baseball. That season's over with. Thank God we can start looking towards next year. What an action-packed hour coming your way after the news right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Took a different route to work this week, uh, town here today, and uh, wound up passing by City Hall, John Hancock. City Hall. And, uh, well, but we have a pretty city hall. It's, it's an old uh, building. It's French, and, uh, yeah. whatever you call it. And it, it needs to be cleaned, but on the outside, you know, just uh, occasionally gets done, but the smog and other things have built up on it. But it's a pretty old building, um, and it's really, uh, you know, a nice relic of uh, when St. Louis was one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. Um, and sitting on the, the front of City Hall on all the lawn are these tents. And it's a homeless encampment that's taking place Isn't there. that lovely? Yeah, and this is this is being some done by design. Our old friend Larry Rice is out there doing this and, yeah. you know, encouraging all these homeless folks to come down there. And, of course, many of the folks at the Board of Aldermen and the administration are – Passing Bill of Rights for homeless folks. And what are and, what are the rights of the homeless? They can I, they sleep wherever they want. Is that? Uh, I think there the, should be the same rights that every citizen has. Uh, all I know is if you and I wanted to go to Forest Park today and have a little barbecue and maybe play a little pickleball on the pickleball courts, guess what we got to do? We got to go through a process, apply for a permit, and then of course we'd be able to use that property and we'd pay a little fee and etc. We'd be able to use it. Uh, so that's what, what about the Bill of Rights there? Shouldn't they just say, so I hey, you just, ought to be able to go I just the... can't walk into Forest Park with my hot dogs and start cooking away. I think huh? you can, but if you wanted to secure it or you wanted to be on a tennis court or you wanted to play soccer on one of the fields, uh -huh. you've got to go and get a permit. All right. Here's my problem. We in the city of St. Louis have elected folks who are really, really concerned about homelessness, mm -hmm. as am I, by the way. Let's put out the facts. We are spending more money post-pandemic on homelessness in the St. Louis region than we have ever spent. We don't have more homeless people now than we did, I don't know, 20 years ago, five years ago. It's the same amount of homeless people in the region that we've always had. We have homeless shelters that are literally sitting around town empty. 
Nobody's going to them. the homeless There's are not beds. going to the homeless. There's shelters. some the folks are choosing not to go to some of these beds. They don't like the rules that are going to be there. And by the way, if you're homeless, you have that prerogative to say, you know what, I don't want to go seek this help. But what's going on is we are empowering people to go out there and act a fool. You don't get to go just put a tent up on City Hall and decide you're going to camp there. And this idea of entitlement um, and, more importantly, like a permissiveness that's come from our elected leaders, that this is okay behavior, that we need to be sympathetic to people who don't want to, you know, follow some types of rules because they're in a less fortunate decision, a situation, makes no sense to me. Because these folks, the homeless folks, 20 years ago, we we would just say, look, you can't be here. We take away their tent. And guess what? They'd go to one of those shelters or they'd go somewhere else. Why we're allowing this? And people say, well, it's because we don't have the resources. We Hogwash. We have more money and more facilities than we've ever had. This is being allowed to happen. Tashara Jones and the administration, coupled with members of the Board of Aldermen, are creating this situation that is not necessary. And by the way, it just continues to be something that's hurting our abilities to grow and and to try to bring back this downtown St. Louis. But I got to tell you, I don't think these folks care anymore. It's all about sound bites, John, and I'm out fighting for the homeless people. Are you really? No. Are you really permitting them to live on the front steps of 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 City Hall? This is what your this is your advocacy for homelessness. Well, and the hygiene is not exactly the highest standard either. It's not unique to St. Louis. I don't know if you've seen the videos of what's happened in San Francisco, right along the business district. People are literally living, sleeping, and defecating on the sidewalks. Uh, all through San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in which to live in the entire country and is being ruined before our eyes by this same kind of mindset, this progressive mindset. And they're not just allowing it, they're encouraging it. And that's what's happening here. Uh, And you've got homeless people lined up on City Hall. Who is going to Let's say you're a business and you're thinking about eh, maybe moving to downtown St. Louis because the cost of living is better. It's centrally located. Uh, I can't get anywhere from the airport. That's a problem. But you, uh, you've got some employees and you want to fly a couple of your senior management in to show them the city, show them around a little bit. And they land and they're driving down Tucker there, right in the heart of the central business district downtown. There's a bunch of homeless tents up. Uh, odors coming from that area. Do you think that business is going to relocate here? No, they're not going to relocate here. And and we are systematically doing this to ourselves just as they are in San Francisco. And there's a lot of other cities that are going through this same kind of uh, politics, and and it's politics. And there's lots of hand-wringing over it. We've got to have a homeless bill of rights, and we've got to do We've got all the things in place that are necessary here. And this is political brain rot, though, John. And many people on my side of the aisle sit here and watch this Matt Gates situation and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Boebert situation, and we think, boy, oh, boy, the Republicans aren't doing anything about this, and they've created their own mess, and look what they're doing to us. The same can be said about what's going on with this progressive thought process. We're creating this mess, and our solution is not to go deal with the people who are causing the problems, but it's to hand-wring and to be like, oh, well, we're not doing this and we're not doing that. It's killing our city. I just feel so sorry for a lot of the people who, unlike me, were unable to get out of downtown St. Louis, who aren't AT&T and who can flee downtown St. Louis, who aren't the big expensive law firms and who've gone to Clayton. 
Uh, you know, they, they, and who can blame those people for getting out? None of us blame them for getting out. But what about the ones who are left behind? And all those people sitting in Tower Grove and in the Central West End in my neighborhood who are hand-wringing and saying, oh, this is so horrible what we're doing to homeless people? Nonsense. We are doing more for homelessness in St. Louis than we've ever done before. We need to quit allowing this type of behavior, and we need true leadership in our government to go out there and show people that these facilities— this is what progressives wanted to do, John. They said they wanted to help people with resources. Guess what? There's resources there. You're not helping them by letting them sit on City Hall. Well, and the vast majority of the homeless problem uh, is— twofold it's mental health issues and it's drug it's addiction and those two factors probably i don't know what the exact statistic is but it makes up the vast majority of the homeless population and here we're wanting to you know some would like to defund the police and have more social workers you know going mm -hmm. out and instead of sending police officers to all of these altercations you know whatever i'll tell you where we could use some social workers is with this homeless population get them some mental health treatment uh, it's all talk. Get them some addiction services, and that would solve an awful yeah, but, lot of these problems. But at the end of the day, it is all talk, and I don't know how much more evidence voters need in front of them. All this progressive ta thought process and ideas, it's all talk. Look no further than the, the, the bank accounts we put together for these kids. Uh, through the treasurer's office. $50. That, uh, yeah, we were putting $50. Now these kids can't even get the money. <laughs> There's money being spent everywhere. But, boy, it really sounded good when the mayor was running for uh, for election. It's just nonsense. Well, on to happier topics, Much man. We've happier got some, couple we've of, got some uh, great people who've left St. Louis yeah. that are coming back to talk to us about how great their life is. Well, yeah, and some very talented individuals. Next up is Norbert Leo Butts. He's a two-time Tony Award winner. Uh, phenomenal actor, stage, screen, motion pictures, television. He's going to be in. He's got a new album coming out that's going to debut this weekend. And then later in the hour, Javier Mendoza has a new album coming out. He's a St. Louis musician. Uh, just great guest. Norbert Leo Butts is next right here on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey, welcome back to the greatest radio station on the planet. And it's the greatest place to grow up is St. Louis, Missouri. Who knows what you can become? You can become a Super Bowl uh, broadcaster. You can. You can, uh, you know, go on to a star in the office. You can. Or you can take Broadway by storm and win yourself a bunch of Tonys. Two-time Tony Award winner, St. Louis native Norbert Leo Butts joins us in studio. You've got, before we get to all of my probative questions, Norbert Leo, <laughs> yes. uh, you've got an event coming up uh, tonight. I sure do. Tell us about it. I am playing a concert at the Sheldon Auditorium. I, I mean, legendary space. One of the great, great acoustic rooms, like, of all time. It is. I, I sang there years ago uh, as part of a benefit and um, have always wanted to play there. I have been working on this little EP. I, I co-wrote several songs with my 26-year-old daughter during COVID. That's cool. It's very cool. So it's kind of a father-daughter project. That uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm unveiling these songs tonight. The CD is going to be released uh, midnight tonight. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So music is a big part of your life now absolutely uh, your two tony awards came from musicals uh, dirty rotten scoundrels and catch me if you can in the leading role one of only nine people 
to win the leading uh, best actor leading in a musical. So they tell me two times. One of nine people in the history, Michael, of Broadway. Wow. Yeah. Here's the thing: when you when you get like a moniker like that, everywhere I go now, it's two-time Tony Award winner Norbert Butts. Two-time Tony Award. Welcome to two-time Tony. Even my parents used to call me. Is this my two-time Tony Award? Like, it's you know, it's it's a bit of an albatross, but um, I'm super super. Well, proud. it's I'm better super to be proud. It's better to be a two-time Tony Award winner than a two-timer. Uh, I think yeah. we can all agree on that. Well, but, we, but singing is not ouch. really your thing, right? You know You're what? an actor. I. You know what? I am both. I I have served two masters my entire life. I grew up, as you know, you know my brother Steve. Uh, he, he's kind of the culprit in my music education. So he's the oldest of the 11 of us. I'm the seventh. 11? Yeah. 11. Oh, my yeah. word. Steve's the oldest. I'm There's the seventh. a lot seventh. of butts out there. There are a lot of butts. Yeah. Insert joke, insert whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but Steve was really the first musician in our family. And then all of us younger guys just, like, wanted to be Steve. So I guess I was about 8, 9, 10, started playing piano, and... Uh, doing vocal competitions with school, singing choirs. And then I got into college, and um, I discovered acting. I, my heroes became like Pacino, Duvall, De Niro. And I thought musicals were just, that was passe. That was yeah. beneath me, you know. So I stopped doing them for a long time. But really, I started off as a singer. Um, and now I've kind of just kind of juggled both. Yeah, I find it fascinating um, that one of your heroes is James Cagney. That's he's probably my favorite of all time. And and tell me about that allure. I was again. Uh, we had a VHS tape of Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, I remember yeah. being a little little kid, and I was obsessed with that movie. Here's the thing about James Cagney: James Cagney could melt your heart with a song and a dance, and then in another film he could turn around and absolutely turn you to stone. He was terrifying as a gangster, and I thought that was such a cool combination. Right? He. And that was always the kind of actor that I wanted to be. He had that range, you know what I mean? He was a song and dance man, but he was also this like feral, lethal gangster. And I thought that was just so cool. His final role uh, was a movie. It's, I play ragtime piano. Oh, in, ra in He was in ragtime. ragtime. He played uh, Roscoe Conkling. He was incredible. Yeah, that yeah. Was, was a great performance in that yeah. movie. He wasn't the type of pandering kind of guy. There was a menace about him and his, even when he danced. And I just thought there was that extra edge that he had. Is something that I always kind of looked up to and tried to emulate. So you've done a lot of television as well, as well as motion pictures. Yeah. Uh, but New York is your base. You yep. never thought about going to Hollywood. No, you know, I, I came to New York. I was 28 years old. I got super lucky. I got in Rent, the big... Yeah, that was a, that was a movement, smash hit. hit. And then the work just started coming through musical theater. I have to be honest... Rent was my first professional musical, and it was on Broadway. I was in a Broadway show before I saw a Broadway show. That's how really? naive I was about the whole thing. And then I did eleven Broadway shows. You know, being on Broadway, it's like being in—it's like being in the majors, man. I had—I've had four surgeries. You know, in, I got into my early forties, and my body was breaking down. Mm. And I started auditioning for more television. Easier on the body. <laughs> um, not that eight show a week grind. And um, and I just got lucky. I got on a couple of really successful shows, and that's where the work has come now. So I balanced it. Yeah, and now you're at a place where you can pick and choose what you want to do. So films can come at you. Television can come at you. Broadway. Put aside the physical uh, restraint. Which, which one would you prefer to do? I get asked that all the time. And, I, I mean, it's just, it sounds 
you know, whatever, Pat, but uh, you go toward the material. You go toward this, the what, what really jazzes you up, you know. It's like like anybody. I do audio books. I love doing those. Mm. Um, sometimes it's great to sit in a studio with a really great book and, and just work with an engineer and producer. Sometimes, and I'm also a restless kind of artist. I was, you know, I'm always want, wanting a new cha- challenge. So um, I go toward the material and the collaborators. That's what it's always about in entertainment. Yeah. So you you've got this new album now. It's coming out and features your daughter it sure does. on it. Uh, did you have eleven children uh, yourself? I <laughs> no, no. I but I did have three beautiful daughters. Yeah. Um, they are my joy. They are the light of my life. And I tell you what, you know. COVID was the huge disruptor, but there were a lot, a lot of uh, the, the, the benefits that came from that time. I had all three of my kids, home under my roof, you know. Yeah. A lot of people talk about this, and it was it's phenomenal. Four months, having dinner every night together, um, making music. That's what we do. My oldest daughter is, uh, she's 26. She's a really fine songwriter. And throughout the years, she's been writing songs since she was a teenager. She's like, Dad, is this any good? I'd be like, yeah, that's really good. It's so good. I want to record a couple of those. So we started laying down the basic tracks during COVID and, uh, re- you know, finally got about to finishing it a few months ago. And I'm, I'm self-releasing it myself. And uh, I'm just super proud of her. Norbert um, Leo Butts is our guest. He is a two-time Tony Award winner. <laughs> I think we've covered that. Uh, do you have a favorite genre of of the material, the comedy, the drama. Um, I, you know, again, I always, I always uh, like to do the thing that I have not done previously. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a film coming out next week called The Exorcist, and it's my first horror film. Oh wow! Oh yes, it's uh, it's 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 not a remake; it's a sequel. Are you a, are you a priest? I'm not the priest. Oh. I, I play the father of the, oh. of the possessed girl. Wow! Uh, it was one of the hardest, most rewarding most bizarre experiences I've ever had. Yeah, but what what better uh, of a method acting experience than, than to have raised teenage daughters? Oh, yes. If you're talking about somebody that's, you know, demon-possessed. Possessed. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> there are a couple what of years What was it like there. growing up with 11, uh, 10 siblings? It was chaotic. It was What, did you guys fantastic. live in a mansion? Or? No. And as a matter of fact, I took my girls. My girls were in town with me. I, I was the seventh. I was born in a three-bedroom house off of Gravoy in, 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 uh, on Vassal, right by St. George's Parish. Um, I lived in a drawer for the first years of my life, my mom tells me. Uh, not a lot of space, but I tell you what, my siblings are my best friends. They really, really are. I'm so – my parents are gone now, mm. and um, just to have those kind of roots, you know, it's are, been amazing. Are you the only one who kind of fled St. Louis, or did the rest of them stick around? Or Most did... of them have stayed here. Uh, I have a brother who went to Seattle – um, a sister who also went to the West Coast, but most everybody is still in Missouri, yeah. Norbert, many people want to know where you went to high school. You know, that's the question. I went to, proudly went to Bishop DeBerg High Bishop School. Bishop DeBerg High School. Yep. Right there you go. There. So, and you did a lot of acting in high school. Uh, I did. I saw I did Cor- Yezu play. Well, here was the thing. My older brothers, it's, it's great when you have older brothers. They just, they, they show you the way. Yeah. So I had older brothers who were smart. Because they would go to the all-girl Catholic schools and audition for the plays because right. they did the math. There would be like 80 girls and five guys in the That's show. And if you could thinking. walk and talk at the same time, you got a lead. 
Like, you know, they were so desperate for guys. So you had as many dates as you could possibly have in high school. And let's face it, if you're a Norbert Butts, you need all the help you can get, you know, in that department. <laughs> well, it's worked so. out pretty well for you. It's worked out pretty well for you. So. The performance, are there still seats available for this thing? I think there are some seats available. It's um, tonight. Yes, It's at the lot, Sheldon, yeah. thesheldon.org for more information. Norbert Leo Butts and his daughter are going to be uh, unveiling she, this thing. She, yeah, her songs are going to be represented. She's not a performer, but I'm going ah, to be performing some her, of her, her songs. pieces. Yes. That it's the King of Hearts CDs coming out, self-published by Norbert Leo Butts. Thank you so much for your time in the studio. It's been fascinating. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Best wishes. We'll be back after the news with Javier Mendoza. That's next on KMOX. Hi, I'm Paul Goldschmidt. Hi, I'm Miles Michaelis. I'm Adam Wainwright, and you're listening to the voice of the Cardinals, KMOX. It's the Cards and Reds tonight. Amron Total Access 620. First pitch 715. KMOX is Cardinals Radio. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Stroke your hair to the side I've done this a thousand times Well, how, how pretty is that? That's Hobo Kane. Uh, but if you're from St. Louis, you know him as Javier Mendoza. You got to love a guy who's got two names. You do. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, two for the price of one. So this is a new album. It's called Who Do You Love? Uh, there's a release party coming up, and it's going to be tomorrow at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center. Javier Mendoza, welcome back. It's actually not tomorrow. It's October 21st oh. when it's getting released. Oh, I see that. I'm sorry about <laughs> that's that. That's okay. Yeah, I saw Saturday. Are you just in town tomorrow. for good food? I'm just in town for good food. There I'm in go. St. Louis restaurants. So you were, awesome. you were born, uh, not born here, but you lived was, here for... I was born in D.C., Yeah, moved to Spain. My dad was in the military, uh-huh. so I lived there for... Well, grew up there, and then I came to St. Louis on a soccer scholarship. Wow, soccer player. Yeah, and music, uh, part of your life since when? I was 10 when I my brother taught me how to play Wish You Were Here by uh, you know Pink Floyd, and from there I just kind of played and played and... It was my mu- uh, music ter- teacher that heard me singing, and he goes, you should do this more often. And then I tried to, um, you know, there was a girl in the <laughs> picture, and mm-hmm. I tried to be a rock star, and now it's a living. Yeah, and, and you made a living in music in St. Louis. I did. Uh, that's not easily done. Well, especially not with original music. Right. And um, I've basically always been an original uh, singer-songwriter. I have about 16, 17 albums out. And so, yeah, you know, it was a, a song called On Top of the World that 101, the river at the time, yeah. uh, played it, and uh, and they've got a huge rotation for two years. Javier Mendoza is our guest. He's also now known as Hobo Kane. Hobo Kane, where did that come from? It was time for a change when I moved to Nashville, and, um, you know, this uh, we were I was talking to this company, a branding company, and they said, why do you want to change your name? And I asked her, well, what kind of music do you think I do? And she said, uh, Enrique Iglesias. I go, that's why I want to change my name. Mm-hmm. I needed to, I did, just didn't want people to stereotype my music into just hearing Javier Mendoza. Oh, it's got to be Latin. I'm all over the map. And Hobo Kane was a change. Hobo is a transient migrant worker. Yeah. That's what a musician is. And Kane comes from my mom's maiden name, Cañas, which yeah. means sugar cane. So it comes Kane. Well, there you have it. You have and, it. and your music is eclectic. I mean, it, there's right. so many different influences that that just evolve over time. Did it come from your listening habits when you were young? Or I, I think a little bit of that. I mean, my, I grew up with my, my sister taught me guitar as well. And she played in church and my, uh, 
brother listened to the Eagles, Sticks, you know, all the classics, yeah. Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. And then my dad played uh, folk music, you know, Spanish or Mexican folk music. And that's kind of put all together and living in Spain, Germany, all over the place. So, And now you're in Nashville. And now I'm in Nashville. Uh, and did you say how many albums? I think if you include those Christmas albums, probably about 17, 18. And albums. all of it original stuff. I'm, original, I'm sure you've yeah. done a few covers. Yeah, yeah, but, I'll do uh, some obscure. But but your, your real niche in all of this is you're a very prolific composer. And you've written for some pretty important and famous people. I'm thinking Ricky Martin. You I mentioned Enrique, Enrico. Enrique Iglesias, I wrote for them. I was a staff writer for Warner Chapel. Mm. I didn't write any hits. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I was a staff writer, so I wrote for all of them. Um, and uh, in Nashville, I, I had the honor to write with Chris Caraba of Dashboard yeah. First Confessional. And so, um, how, yeah. how cool is it to hear somebody else performing one of your compositions? Isn't that, I mean, that's a uniquely cool experience. It is actually, you know, I remember there was this uh, artist by the name of Juan David with Sony. And, uh, I remember hearing the song and it was, was it felt completely different than the way I wrote it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely a cool experience. You brought a guitar with you. It's not a prop, right? It's never a prop. You want to play a song for us? Sure. Let's. What do are you going to play? Uh, well, I'm going to finish the song that you guys started. Um, nice. Let's call this the title track. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Stroke your hair to the side. I've done this a thousand times And a thousand more And a thousand more Until I die See you undress in the light I feel your breath as it touches mine I've done this a million times And a million more And a million more until it's right Is it chance or by design Are we damned just in time If it hurts it's true divine But if we're wrong Stay the night Stay the night Across the room, spend together a rainy afternoon. I've been there so many times, but you're not here, and it's unclear if you're mine. Is it chance or by design? Are we damned just in time? If it hurts, it's true divine But if we're wrong Stay the night Stay the night Oh, do you love 
shut the door Don't you care anymore Top-notch. Who do you love? It's the name of the new album. It's the name of that piece. You just heard it. It's composer Javier Mendoza. He's also known as Hobo Kane. And if you go to hobokane.com, click on the link, you can find tickets to his concert here on Saturday, October 21st. It is going to be at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center. There are tickets available, metrotix.com as well. Javier, it's a Pleasure and an honor to meet you. Thank you so much that for having me here. Great stuff, brother. I do appreciate great, it. Thanks so great much. Great stuff. When we come back, other one last bit of great stuff. Adam Wainwright finishes his career as a St. Louis Cardinal. That's next on KMOX. Trusted information, live and local, from the award-winning KMOX newsroom. The 2-2 delivery, curveball, and that's hit into center field. On the move is Newt Bar, and he makes the play in left center field. And this crowd is loving it. Adam Wainwright, seven zeros on the board. And that was Terrific it, right? It's the last pitch you'll ever throw in the so major leagues. Here tonight. How awesome is that? And how awesome was that last performance? That was magical. And when yeah. you... When you hear now, after the fact, Adam talk about what he's been through physically this season and how he didn't know how he could possibly get the ball up to the plate. He was so broken down in his shoulder and his elbow and his back and his legs. He's 41 years old. And, uh, and And, you know, we all saw earlier in the year him get lit up game after game after game. It seems like it took 10 starts to get to win number 199. And he won it, and then he came back and threw seven shutout innings. Uh, Just one of the more remarkable things I think I will ever witness on a baseball field, knowing now what I know about his physical condition. Yeah, and we won't be seeing him saunter back up to the mound again. He's done pitching, but uh, Cardinal fans are going to get a chance to say goodbye to him, aren't they? I mean, uh, All weekend. Uh, obviously, we're going to get to see him, and there'll be ceremonies and honoring him. But do uh, you think his number will uh, appear on a lineup where we'll get to see him uh, walk back up to the plate? I do. I think I think there'll be at least one at bat for him. He, you know, Wayno was a good hitter uh, during his – Big league careers, pitchers go, and I think I think he has something like eight lifetime, ten lifetime home runs, uh, which is a lot, and not as many as Gibby, but uh, it's a lot. And you know, he was a, he was a good hitter, an effective hitter, and he won some ball games for the Cardinals with his bat over the years. And so that'll be fun to see him. And a decent human, oh, uh, which is you know has continued to be a face of St. Louis. Um, very uh, faith oriented and committed to his faith. Uh, he, of course, has his charity, which has done the fantasy football and 
uh, big league impact, so many yep. things that they've been involved in. All over the world. All over the world. And uh, not to mention, I, I you know, when Adam Wainwright walks out of Bush Stadium on Sunday for the final time, uh, he'll be back eventually to get his red jacket for sure. Uh, and uh, I think we'll be seeing him on television. Oh, I think there's no question. He'll he'll be uh, a very sought-after analyst uh, for the game. So he's done a few already, and he's good. I mean, he's insightful. He explains the game well. He's really a perfect color analyst. He, he knows all aspects of what the pitcher's trying to do, what the hitter's doing. I mean, here's a guy. He was a hard-throwing. I mean, he's got the second or third most strikeouts of any Cardinal pitcher in history. He, he was a strikeout pitcher when he came up, and he threw hard when he came up, uh, as most everybody does these days. Uh, but he, here's a guy who learned how to pitch and really learned how to pitch. He, he was lucky to hit 90 miles an hour on a fastball this year. Uh, most of them were 86, 87, 88 miles an hour, four-seam fastball. I think I saw somewhere or heard somewhere that he had the slowest Fastball average speed of any pitcher in baseball this year out of everybody. and But he learned how to pitch. He would change arm angles. He would change deliveries. He would change grips. And he would have five, six, seven different varieties of whatever he could throw up there and uh, had very good command. I think the command began leaving him just as, the, as his body broke down this year. And then magically it all came together in that final appearance and he wins his 200th game. That's uh, that's remarkable. Well, and that's the way that it should be. And, uh, you know, this this final weekend of the season could have been one of those weekends where uh, we all kind of sheepishly and embarrassingly, you know, kept our eyes off of the Cardinals and uh, even the players themselves wanting to kind of duck out of town, not making many waves. But it's going to be special to have a three-day celebration. Yeah. And put a positive ending to what was just a disastrous year. Yeah, tough year. Cardinals haven't lost 90 games since 1990. I mean, that's 33 seasons. And they've done it this year. I didn't see that coming. Here's a fun fact. Oh. So a couple of years ago, at the trade deadline, the Cardinals needed starting pitching. And they made a trade. And they brought in John Lester. Mm-hmm. You, you'll recall. Oh, yeah, from Chicago. Uh, Chicago, Longtime Chicago Cub pitcher. And he was a few wins shy of 200 for mm-hmm. his career. John Lester got his 200th win as a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals in a game caught by Yadier Molina. Mm. Adam Wainwright got his 200th win for the Cardinals in a game caught by Cubs catcher Wilson, Wilson Contreras. Contreras. Oh, that is, is interesting. Isn't that a fun little fact? That is. Yeah, you know, that's... You know, baseball's so great because there's just so many stories like that and well, and fascinating coincidences that uh, take place over the course of a career. And, you know, Adam Wainwright, um, it's just special. And yeah. when you realize that he's the third most wins of any Cardinal pitcher in history, and I think arguably behind Bob Gibson, of course, He's probably the second greatest pitcher ever to put on that uniform. There you and, go. And stay. And good luck to you. Godspeed, Adam. Uh, we continue to hope to see you around St. Louis. Okay, so as a season ticket holder, John, and somebody who's grown up in the modern era of being a Cardinal fan, yeah. I'm not used to losing. Uh, and further, uh, I'm not used to having a hard time giving away my season tickets <laughs> like I did this year. Yeah. But when you look at this team, there's promise there. I mean, you have the best first baseman in the game still. Mm. You have the best third baseman uh, for sure. Um, you know, there's there's uh, lots of talent there. 
Give me some hope about this team next year. Well, it's all about the pitching. I mean, they're going to have to go out and sign. A lot. Of, most people think they need to sign three pitchers. And uh, now I will say Zach Thompson has shown us something down the stretch here. He could be a number five starter, uh, the left-hander. And he had his last start, a lot of swing and miss pitches, which we don't have a plethora of on this ball club. But the Cardinals are going to have to get a top-line starter, a number one, a legitimate number one pitcher. And uh, they're going to have to do that probably through free agency. And they're going to have to get one or two free agents or uh, one free agent and two trades. But they're going to need to add some arms. And they're going to have to figure out their bullpen because um, one of the names that is often – discussed is Blake Snell. Great pitcher. Mm. Uh, great pitcher, but he's a six-inning pitcher at best. And so if you don't have your seventh, eighth, and ninth innings covered, you're going to waste a lot of those starts. That happened to us this year. Cardinals blew I don't know, close to 30 save opportunities this year. That explains the record. And in the bullpen, every bit as important as the starting pitching for this club next year. But if they address it and they, and they get a little bit of luck and a little bit of health, they ought to be right back in contention next year. You know, I think what could be helpful is I think you and I ought to make a pilgrimage down there to Palm Beach and and maybe help out next year. Jupiter, a bit. Florida. Yeah, help them out. We, they need a little motivation. Yeah. We cannot have another year like this. And maybe an appearance by Hancock and Kelly could maybe uh, help these guys <laughs> Count along. me in, buddy. All Count right. me in. I'm, I'm there. You know, I heard they're redoing the stadium in Jupiter. They are. Uh, they're going to still be able to play ball, but the Cardinal facility itself is getting a rehab. And, you know, that, that was a modern facility when we moved from uh, St. Petersburg. Petersburg. Al Lang Field. Yeah, to Jupiter. And uh, essentially the game has changed quite drastically. The tech aspects and the weights and so many of the things that kind of help uh, develop these athletes. So they're getting ready to spend a couple hundred million dollars down there in Abacoa, Jupiter, to uh, to help our Cardinals continue. They're going to stay there for a long time. So uh, we, we ought to go down there and kind of shepherd them through this upcoming spring. Well, they certainly could use my construction uh, skills. Yeah. Uh, helping no, 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 you know, got to move this over there. You, you know, I'm pretty handy. So listen, John, uh, yes. people are familiar with the fact that there's the Hancock and Kelly, the television show, which shows up on Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Fox 2. It does. What they may not remember is yeah. on Monday evenings when the Cardinals are no longer playing, mm -hmm. Hancock and Kelly have Hancock and Kelly late night from 8 to 10 o'clock yeah. every Monday night. We will be here whenever we don't have Monday night football. I think that kicks off on October the 9th again. Yes, so it's not uh, this coming Monday, but the following Monday you'll be able to see us. And then, of course, we're always here from 8.30-something till 11 o'clock. We stick around and join Amy and Chris and uh, shoot the nonsense with them until they decide, have you seen this? Uh, and then uh, we'll be back with the Glover today. We haven't been on Glover in a while. We're going to come back and spend some time with Dave and the crew. We never get away from this place. Yeah. Um we're the best deal they got. Well, we're the cheapest maybe they'll, deal. Maybe they'll honor us someday. The cheapest deal they got for Man, sure. I, I'm still just blown away by Brad Young being here for six years. <laughs> yes. I am. I am. I am blown away by this show today. Norbert, Leo, Butts, Javier Mendoza. Yeah. We had some good quality entertainers right here. It's Chris and Amy next on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX.